And so I think that if people start to kind of keep an eye out, like they come in sure. And I think a lot of people don't know to look for them. I've even spoken to researchers who study sharks in California who didn't know they were there. My name is Alex McInturf. I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow um, at Oregon State University's Big Fish Lab. So uh, I don't really know. I feel like I wear many hats. So figuring out one title to call me is, is hard. I would say I'm a science communicator. I am a marine ecologist. I'm also an animal behaviorist. So it depends on kind of what the context is and the questions I'm asking, but I feel like I kind of switch around in terms of what I'm interested in. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. Below the Tide is a podcast basically for everyone who grew up wanting to be a marine biologist, whether you are one now, whether you've always dreamt of studying whales or plankton, and you just want an inside view into what the marine science world really is all about. So every week I sit down with a marine scientist and we break down their research in easy to understand ways And we also talk about their really cool stories. So things from field work to their discoveries and so on. With every episode, I post resources on my Instagram page and on my Twitter page. Both handles are at below the tide pod. And there you can find things like definitions, pictures from these scientists, as well as maps, that kind of thing. You should also follow the pages. I post updates throughout the week. You'll see when new episodes go up, links, and all of that. This week, we are doing our last episode with Alexandra McInturf, and we're wrapping up the topic of basking sharks, definitely one of my new favorite ocean creatures. If you haven't listened to episode 21 and 22, definitely go back and listen to those. You'll get an intro to basking sharks, an intro into Alex's work in the field. And then that way, when you tune into this one, all about the Irish basking shark group and more, you will definitely be on the same page. So grab a coffee, follow on Instagram and Twitter, hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, and enjoy. And do you want to talk about the basking shark group? Of course. I love talking about the basking shark group. (laughs) Uh, The Irish basking shark group started before me, so I cannot take credit for for its founding. But when I came to Ireland, it was actually because my advisor at Davis, he was bringing me on as essentially the liaison between his lab at Davis and this group over in Ireland. And I didn't know much about them at the time, but they had invited him over on a lecture tour to go talk about sharks over there and see the basking sharks a few years prior to my starting the PhD. And my advisor was like, this is so cool. Let's continue to study this area because most people don't think about sharks in Ireland at all. But if I remember correctly, there's over 70 species of sharks and their relatives, skates and rays in Irish waters. Uh, And so my collaborator likes to say, Ireland is just as green in the ocean as it is on land. And what that just means is that its oceans are very productive. It's cold. So there's a lot of oxygen in the water. There's a lot of upwelling along the coast. So there's a lot of nutrients being brought up to the surface as the water masses kind of hit the continental shelf right off of Ireland's coastline. And there's a lot of wildlife. You see minke whales, 
There are occasionally humpbacks. There's tons of different migratory bird species. And of course you have basking sharks and tuna and other types of sharks there as well. So I went over there and started working with a few of the founding members of this organization called the Irish Basking Shark Group. And I couldn't quite get a grasp on what it was when I got over there. And what I've learned since and what it has also sort of evolved to become is a group of educators and researchers coming together to really just learn more about this species, both in Ireland and more broadly. And the more I worked with these folks, they'd been on the water with the sharks. They had created some of the initial tagging programs for the sharks in the early 2000s. They were putting out these ID tags on sharks every year that just had a big number on them so that people could see the number even from the shore and report, oh, shark one, two, three, four has shown up this year. And so they've been doing this for a long time and they, they are really good sources of information on the species generally because they've just been on the water with them quite a bit. And as I was going over there, there was sort of this moment of, is this basking shark group going to continue or not, right? It's an entirely volunteer-based organization. Do folks really have time to contribute to this? Do they not? Um, and I went over there and was floored by the amount of outreach and education. I mean, they really offered even a centralized database for reporting shark sightings, which we still don't really have over here. And I was thinking, this is an amazing resource. So I sort of agreed to help co-coordinated and that's kind of my role now and there's a core group of us who have really continued to be part of this and even grown it in the past few years so we are mostly researchers internationally some in the U.S. and also locally some in Ireland or Northern Ireland and we do a lot of education and outreach around the species at the moment um, it's been a very cool way to bring in different realms of research and policy and conservation and education and all of those kind of merge in this really cool way. And it's a really unique thing for me because I get to take part in all these other aspects of conservation and education that as a researcher, you probably don't often get to do. So again, that's why I say I wear many hats. For example, this year, the Basking Shark Group organized this petition to protect basking sharks in Irish waters. That was successful actually. And that um, legislation should be enacted later this year. And that's an amazing moment for me as someone who cares deeply about these animals. And again, it's not something you probably get to do in a lot of other places. We get asked to speak to local schools or give webinars. Um, we also are doing an analysis on the sightings data right now. So it's just a really amazing organization and I hope it continues to grow, but it's definitely something I'm proud to be a part of. And if, if folks wanna learn more, Baskingshark.ie is the website, and you can find us on social media at Basking Irish. Oh, cool. And so, Basking Shark Conservation, what does that kind of look like? Basking Shark Conservation is really hard. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why it hasn't been enacted just yet. I mean, how do you protect an animal that frequently leaves the areas that you're able to protect it in, right? it leaves the jurisdiction of many coastlines and travels through a lot of different countries' waters. So we are starting to think about how to enact these different conservation measures effectively based on obviously the folks who have to work with these resources as well. So the fishermen and the fishing community, folks who want to install marine renewable energy resources, how do we, accommodate all these other human interests 
and also simultaneously protect the animals moving through these waters. That's not an easy challenge. And that's something that I think Ireland is going to have to deal with moving forward. And that's something that we are happy as the group to really speak to in terms of the basking shark perspective. Like how do we efficiently protect basking sharks is essentially the question. You know, they only show up at certain times of year. So maybe during certain times of year, we protect certain areas where they we predict they're going to be. But like I said, predicting that is really hard. And, uh, you know, they're not going to stay put just because we put something like a marine protected area in a certain place. They do not care. Um, so right now, what we're focused on is really mitigating ongoing threats. Like I said, we've developed a code of conduct, so we don't advocate folks being in the water, swimming up to the sharks and interrupting potentially important behaviors like feeding or mating. But if you're in the water and a shark comes up to you, what are you going to do? So. It's again, again, a fine line, but also mitigating risks like ship strikes. If you see a shark in the water, if you see any animal in the water, try to shift into neutral if they're around you type of thing. Uh, do not approach them in kayaks or paddle boards, especially because they can come really close into land. Like you could probably swim out to them in some bays. But we're just trying to raise awareness to avoid harassment of these animals at the moment. And there's going to have to be many different types of dialogues moving forward in terms of how to navigate the different interests in water usage and how we're going to be able to incorporate basin shark protection in that. Yeah. And so Ireland currently does not, they don't have them as like a protected species, but in the U.S. and Canada, are they already a protected species? Basin shark protection in these areas, I mean, uh, in, it's more explicit, I think, in Canada, although I can speak less to the Canadian uh, legislation. In the U.S., there's a variety of protections for like highly migratory species. There's a lot of restrictions on like drift nets and gill nets, and those are things that will sometimes entangle basking sharks. So even if they aren't explicitly protected as the basking shark, they're protected under a lot of other different types of legislation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And in Ireland, they, um, they actually have so Ireland does not classify fish as wildlife at the moment. So the typical wildlife protections that they might have over there do not apply to any fishes. Basking sharks will be the, if I understand correctly, will be the first fish to be classified as wildlife and therefore protected under the Wildlife Act over there. So it's a big, it's a huge milestone generally, and especially for basking sharks over there. Wow, that's wild. Where would they, I mean, let's say they're protected in Ireland, where would they swim to? What is their range? Or we don't know. Well, no, <laughs> we don't know. But basking sharks in Ireland have been seen off the coast of Cape Cod. Actually, there was an ID tag that was put on by our group before my time in Ireland. And that shark showed up <laughs> off of Cape Cod like hundreds of days later. Um, and it was, we figured that out because there was an underwater photographer who actually got a picture of the shark and therefore the ID tag. So we, that's why the ID tags are super useful because anybody can, can see them and record them. Um, but basking sharks in Ireland have also been shown or have been seen very far up north off of Scotland. We know that they can go down as far as Morocco and from Cape Cod down to Brazil. So they can cross the equator. They can cross the ocean basin. We know much less about how far they can go or do go in the Pacific. So there's only been one tagging study on them in California. And I think they probably went 
on the way to Hawaii. I don't think we actually got them over there, uh, but that is a paper by my collaborator, Heidi Dewar. So again, the story is much more clear in the Atlantic, much less clear in the Pacific. Would you use the story from the Atlantic to kind of model the Pacific or do you approach it as two completely different populations? That's a really good question. There has been a genetics paper, this was in the early 2000s, that suggests that the genetic diversity of basking sharks worldwide is extremely low. What that means is that there's probably a lot of mixing going on between the populations. I think that there needs to be much more work done in terms of looking at their actual movement patterns to see where they're going globally. But there has also been more research recently on genetics suggesting that some of the groups seen in Ireland are more closely related to each other um, than in, in other areas. There's a lot more to the story that I think needs to be told. And so I think you just posed a really amazing question. I currently think of them as two different populations, but that's not to say that that's true. That's just to say that one group of these sharks seems to be much more well-studied than the other. Yeah, totally. Wow. And where do you see this research going? What is the end goal? <laughs> I would love to study basking sharks on it for the rest of my life. I think that there's so much to learn about them and I'd really like to study them here on the west coast of the US. Uh, they have been seen in Oregon waters historically, not commonly, but I think a lot of people just aren't looking. I would love to see, if I had my ideal scenario I would love to amplify what the basking shark group in Ireland is doing and make a global basking shark working. I would love to try to see, okay, what's going on in New Zealand? What's going on in Ireland? What's going on on the West Coast? Are trends in basking shark sightings changing? Do they always show up in these hotspots all at the same time? Do they tend to show up at different times? Could it be the same individuals? I think there just needs to be a lot more global coordination in terms of this research. And I hope to be involved in a lot of that, but I don't know. I think that my future with basking shark work is uncertain at the moment. It's really hard to get funding for basking shark projects because they're not really commercially valuable. Um, and then they're hard to find and a lot of people don't know a lot about them. So I don't really even know who would support that kind of work at the moment. But if anybody's listening to this podcast and wants to give me a lot of money to try to figure this out, uh, I would really appreciate it. So yeah, I would say my future in this is uncertain. I think for the social lives of basking sharks thing in particular, we do know that they associate like, and by associate, I mean, they swim right next to each other and follow each other around when they're in these hotspot areas. Like it's clear, they are clearly interacting with each other. Um, and I wanna know what those interactions mean and why they do that. And can it tell us anything about when they happen to be meeting um, or, you know, whether they're in a certain place because other individuals are also there. Are they learning from each other? There's a lot that we could maybe infer by seeing if they're social. Whoa. Now I'm hooked on basking sharks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to add? I feel like that just like that was everything I needed to hear about basking sharks. And now that's what I want to do. No, I would just say, I think for basking sharks, a key part of the story comes 
comes with awareness and education. That's why the Bass and Shark Group has been so valuable for me. And so I think that if people start to kind of keep an eye out, like they come in shore and I think a lot of people don't know to look for them. I've even spoken to researchers who study sharks in California who didn't know they were there. So I'm hoping that by continuing to talk about them as something that might be in our waters, people will start to kind of keep an eye out. Um, and if you see one, please do let me know. Uh, I am on Twitter, I am on email, you could Google me, please just find me. Um, and please let me know because I am just so curious about about their future here in, in the US in particular. Mm-hmm. And what coasts can people see them off of? Both coasts. Uh, they're most commonly seen probably in New England area on the East Coast and up into um, Newfoundland. And then here you can see them in Vancouver, or at least historically you could, uh, off the coast there and then also off the coast of California. Oh, cool. And then Ireland, that area. Yeah, the whole Northeast uh, Atlantic is is pretty full of them, relatively speaking, of course, endangered species, but um, but definitely there. And if you're ever in New Zealand, they also historically used to be there as well. I do feel pretty fortunate to be able to study a bunch of very cool animals. And um, what I've learned about studying pretty charismatic species is that it's a really good gateway to coming into science. So I'm hoping to see the field of shark science in particular diversify in the future. I'm hoping to see um, more members of more marginalized communities, for example, people of color, women, um, non-binary folks. I just wanna see more people in our field representing a lot of different backgrounds um, and a lot of different cultures, because I feel like historically shark science has been pretty inaccessible for many. And you don't necessarily have to live on the water or even have ever seen a shark to get into it. So. That's kind of my general thought to conclude. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Below the Tide. I really appreciate you being here. Don't forget to hit follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a rating and a review. I'd love to hear from you guys. You can always DM me on social media as well with questions or just reaching out. I love hearing from you. I hope you have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next week.